And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Tuesday morning, and oh my God, what a Monday night in the NBA. What a weekend in the NBA. Even leaving aside like the Warriors-Lakers double overtime game feels like five days ago. Chinea Gumake, how are you? We're here. We're in the building. I'm back, baby. Let's go. Got the Rockets gear on. Speaking of the Rockets, here's just a partial list of topics that I want to hit from last night. Um, Jared Vanderbilt got ejected after appearing to give Dylan Brooks a wet willy and, and among, among other things, <laughs> and the Lakers lost again. Cam Whitmore out hustled, I think nine different Lakers for loose balls and rebounds and exploded through them like the Kool-Aid man and just dunked and dunked and dunked and dunked again on the Lakers faces. We had two elite versus elite games. The Wolves exercising some fourth quarter demons winning in Oklahoma City and the Denver Nuggets, the defending champs, completing a trifecta of wins against Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, the top three in the East by ruining Doc Rivers' debut. And today, I liked those games. You know why I like those games? Why? Because after all of this whining, offense is out of control. All these guys score 70 every game. I remember back in my day when 40 was big news. And those complaints are not without merit. We're going to talk about the scoring explosion. But the Wolves-Thunder game and the Nuggets-Bucks game were reminders. Oh, when you get two serious teams together, you better buckle up and play some freaking defense. And the games can get slow, strategic, grind it out in a way that is still pleasing to the eye because of all the strategy and back and forth and matchup juggling. Oh, Giannis is on Jokic, but now they're switching Murray Jokic. Super fun games and a great antidote to the 150-140 score fest, all of which seem to involve the Atlanta Hawks uh, and their pathetic (laughs) defense. Um, Ben Simmons came back and almost had a triple-double in 18 minutes. It looked good. Evan Mobley came back and only played nine minutes with Jared Allen in the minute staggering thing that's going to happen for the Cavs. Janae, have you looked at seeds number two through five in the Eastern Conference today? I have not looked at the updated standings. I have not. Boston is number one by four games. Here are the number of losses from the teams behind them. Two, Milwaukee, 32 and 15. Three, Philadelphia, 29 and 16. Four, New York, despite Julius Randle's injury and OG Ananobi out last night against the Sad Hornets, 30 and 17. Cleveland, with the aforementioned Evan Mobley back in Garland coming soon, 28 and 16. So to review, losses, loss column, 15, 16, 17, 16. The race for two and three and Boston avoidance in the second round is going to be <laughs> hellacious. Uh, let's see what else happened. The Miami Heat lost for the seventh consecutive game. Their oh offense stinks to high heaven, and it's all mid-range jumpers all the time, and it's not working even though Jimmy Butler has showed a pulse again for the last two games. And Joel, Troel, Embiid, <laughs> after, you know, this is what gets me a little, grinds my gears a little bit when he warms up against the Nuggets. Oh, you're old, and- grinding my gears. You said it. You're old officially. I'm unofficial. I'm old, officially, unofficially, on the record, <laughs> off the record. I've been washed up for minimum six years. Continue, um, sorry. Joel Embiid, uh, this, people like, oh, he, he warms up and doesn't play against the Nuggets. Oh, he's sandbagging it. He's ducking Jokic. And would I like Joel Embiid to play against Nicole Jokic in Denver for the first time since 2019? Yeah, I would. I like watching those two guys play together. Also, he's generally outplayed Jokic the last three or four times that they faced each other, all of which have been in Philadelphia. Um, 
and people get all over him. He's sandbagging. He's ducking. Then he misses another game against the Blazers. The Sixers get rolled in Portland somehow. And he has now missed 12 games. You can only miss 17 and win the MVP. Already last season, Shanae, with 66 games played, that's the second fewest as a portion of total games possible to play out of 82 because there have been shortened seasons before because of the pandemic and lockouts. Mm -hmm. And back in the 50s, it was a 72-game season. That's already the second fewest games proportionally for anyone to ever win MVP. Bill Walton won it with 58 games played in 1977. Um, And, you know, so he's already flirting with like, is this too few games? This is a lot. This is a lot to talk about. Chanae, I'm going to start with your Houston Rockets beating the Whoa. Lakers. Now, the Lakers play again tonight against the Hawks in Atlanta on a back-to-back on the Grammy road trip. So, you know, we I don't want to talk too much about them because they could win by 30 tonight and reverse all this this doom and gloom. I'm starting to to just, not starting to, every game that goes by, it feels like they still, despite the fact that D'Angelo Russell is making a lot of shots and this new starting five is one that they have finally settled on. By the way, it's minus 10 overall for the season. It's defensively not been good. It still feels like they can't quite figure out who to play with who, how to get everyone going at the same time, how to balance offense and defense. Austin Reeves just has games where he disappears while D'Angelo Russell is feasting. Here's Christian Wood. Oh, bye-bye, Christian Wood. We're going to play Rui and LeBron at the five (laughs) Mm -hmm. while AD sits. Here's a lot of LeBron, AD pick and roll, and then it disappears for an entire quarter. It's starting to feel, Cheney, like despite the hopes of, I don't know, the NBA's broadcast partners and the biggest fan base in the world, (laughs) it's starting to feel like it's just not going to happen for the Lakers. Are you there? Are you there yet? I've been there. I've been there. And it's been hard for me to reconcile with this truth. Because every time I want to say, you know what? This Lakers team... They're going to do something. They're going to make the most out of it. We got an instant classic between the Lakers and the Warriors. Then the Rockets come on by to humble you. See, I, I always sort of felt like that magic secret sauce from last year's run to the Western Conference Finals. Once we started to see the season where they were deviating from what that norm was, right? Like, I don't, it, you just start telling yourself a story. Oh, AD needs to shoot threes more to be successful. Oh, we need a more defensive rotation out there to be successful. There are so many different iterations of what we've seen the Lakers that have been sort of a departure than what we saw last year to make us feel like they were searching for a solution that probably would never be tenable. And so I think it was about a week or two ago. I can't remember. Oh, wait. Which loss was it? Oh, was it the loss they were at home? Was it to the Nets? The loss uh, about a week or so ago to the Nets at home where I was like, okay, this is rock bottom for me uh, to really feel like, I mean, and is this a safe space, Zach? It's, it, this is probably not, but I'm going to say that it is because I want you to say whatever it is you want to say. <laughs> Don't want to get, you know, like, I, I know our we have jobs that we do on television, right? And the Lakers drive a lot of conversation. But my goodness, I just it's hard for me to get up for those conversations, knowing the truth of the matter is that this team just isn't necessarily 
up to the par in which the rest of the NBA has been elevating their standards based off of this explosion of scoring we've seen. And it's not just an individual explosion of scoring. You know, we're seeing the Embiid's and then all these like numbers. Now we're in like this run of Devin Booker. Like we're seeing Luca. It's not individual. It's collective. In the last 10 years, I think the overall NBA scoring average has been increased by like 10 to 15 points. This is a calculated shift by the NBA. And unfortunately, teams that have won three years, was it three years? Oh, dang, it's four. Yeah, in the bubble a couple of years ago on defensive prowess, they're not built to succeed the way that teams are built currently based off of offensive prowess. That's just the nature of the NBA right now. The Lakers won their championship by having a number one, number two defense over the entire season. That If you have that now, that is not necessarily good enough for you to compete in the top four of your conference. Well, what's happened since then is that LeBron got older, Anthony Davis got older, and actually Anthony Davis is starting to look a little tired to me in some of these games. Like his, Rightfully effort, so. No, no, he's earned it. He's been an Ironman, <laughs> and obviously that's what's scary for the Lakers is like, you feel like the other shoe is going to drop with one of these guys missing 10 or 12 games. They've been healthy the whole season. But Anthony Davis looks a little tired right now. They just don't have enough two-way players. Some of them left in disastrous trades. Some of them left in free agency. But they are increasingly making a choice between offensive players or Jared Vanderbilt, who's mostly a defense player, though he's become quite good at bringing the ball up in the open floor. He used to get nervous when he does that. Now I'm like, yeah. he's going to do, do something fun. <laughs> and and then they just like these these wings like Torian Prince and Cam Reddish, who's injured right now, they're just not good enough to play huge minutes on a championship contending team. And look, I know that the Lakers have been resistant to the whole Zach Levine discussion, and understandably so. Um, I know that they've been resistant to include, to even talk about Reeves in any Trade talk. I I don't know why the Atlanta Hawks would trade um, Dejounte Murray to the Lakers without getting Austin Reeves. Maybe they just love Hood Shafino and that unprotected first they have is a, is a big carrot. Maybe it ends up being that big of a carrot. But I don't really know why the Hawks would rush to do that. And like you run out of realistic guys that are really actually going to turn the ship around for the Lakers pretty fast. Unless you start constructing multiplayer deals, like I tried to build one where they get Murray. And Bogdan Bogdanovich, in which case Reeves has to be in the deal or else the Hawks are crazy. Um, I just this it just may this just may be it for the Lakers. They just not they may just not be a good basketball team. Their offense stinks. It stunk last year. It stunk mostly in the playoffs. They won with defense. It stunk for most of LeBron's and time it there. Takes, it takes LeBron James for you know almost triple double heroics to beat the warriors in double overtime it takes 20 rebounds <laughs> like what it takes you know for them to have that run through the in-season tournament it took a 40 and 20 piece from ad like it takes these super heroic performances for them to do what they're expected to do and that has been the hardest thing so yeah i mean like i'm a girl who plays slash you know whatever the circumstances are for me um for the city and every like there's this irrational confidence that no matter what circumstance we are expected to win and we can win but then like also i played on teams where it's like ah, you know what the reality is of what we're going up against and i feel like unfortunately this lakers team is shaping up to be ah, oh, we know what the reality is of what they're going up against because what they're going up against i i did this calculation a couple days ago 
last year, around a week ago, let's just say around January, once the new year started, there was only one team in the Western Conference that had a 650 winning percentage, right? I believe it was the Denver Nuggets that had a 650 win percentage. Now there were like, and again, this was like a week or so ago, there were four teams. Like the West, the league overall is getting better. And I, I know a lot of people are like, get off my lawn, play some defense, man. Like we need the days with defense coming back. What what is, what is that? Who is that voice supposed to be? What is the age and, and cultural uh, identification of what that voice is intended to be, Shanae? Your archetype. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, I'm play joking. some defense. That's what it no, is. No, play for, get I, off my lawn, kids. Get off my lawn. Like, you know, the basketball truthers, like defense matters. And it does. But I firmly believe that the NBA that we are experiencing with the scoring, the one that benefits offensive teams, the one that hurts the Lakers and anybody that's constructed through defense based off of just what they have, this was by design. The rule shifts, in my opinion, have benefited the offense in a way that the regular season, you're buying a ticket to be able to see potentially Luca get 60. You're buying a ticket to see Embiid do something. And like it works hand in hand with the state of the game also. Like how often have we seen so many centers so skilled at so many things at the same time? Like this is just the natural evolution of positionless basketball, skill sets being just completely unreal. But I do think it's by design. I think the like I remember a couple years ago when I was playing in Connecticut when they introduced through our rules meeting the hot stove rule where if you are guarding someone dribbling up the court, which we all know, you can only touch them once, like body check them once until they get into the paint or even like closer to the lower defensive box. So if you're trying to full court press somebody, you know how you like sort of hit them with the side with your, you know, your forearm to like sort of slow them down and get the momentum down so you can play defense. Like you can't really touch them in a meaningful way until they get very circa the rim. Once that started happening, I knew that scoring was going to go through the roof. I mean, we all sort of saw that. On top of it, the analytics. Long story short, I guess, it just is interesting to see teams that have gotten ahead of it or designed their teams through this passageway and teams that sort of are firm on, like, we can still do this with defense, and it's just so much harder for those types of squads. So I don't – like. Clearly, the league has changed and leaned toward offense, right? Part of that is the rules, and we'll talk about the rules in a second. A lot of that is it took teams a long time to really understand what a big deal it is that three is 50% more than two. And oh, now yes. the entire structure of every team's offense is based on everybody's got to shoot threes or run to the rim, and there's just so much space for defenses to cover that it's really hard to contain those offenses. Then then you tie in the fact that a lot of teams run everything through one guy, Luka, Booker yep. when he's rolling, Embiid when he's rolling, and you're going to get these games. I actually, like, that's different. Saying that there's more offense now, which is indisputably true, and maybe you think there's too much offense. It's too easy to score. The number of threes has reached a threshold where some people don't like it and they want more post-ups in mid-range. And I actually empathize with that. Um, and, and it's just a circus. It's a carnival, right? Um, but that's different than saying that you, you can win without defense. You still need to be a really good defensive team to win. And I will point you again 
to any NBA fan who's sick of these carnival games, watch <laughs> Denver, Milwaukee from last night and yep. watch Minnesota, Oklahoma City from last night. Those are two of the top six teams, four of the top six teams or seven teams in the league. And those were defense first, slow, strategic affairs. The bar may be in a different place. You still got to hit it as a defensive team. Yes, you're raising your hand today. Please go ahead. And that is, oh, thank you, uh, Professor Zach. My one comment would be, that is exactly what I mean by design. I believe that the regular season, these numbers help promote and sell the game. You have these performances, you have teams scoring buckets, like that's great. But the NBA also knows that come the playoffs, the defense will factor in when it matters most. So that is where I see the oscillation, the offensive regular season to the defensive minded. You have to have a top 10 championship team that is going to be seen in the slow down game of the playoffs. And you're absolutely correct, because when we look at these major matchups, it's very few situations where there are very few situations where it's dictated by offense. Like what we saw in Golden State with the Lakers <laughs> and the Warriors, like that was one of those anomalies that bust your head. And I think that's one thing that even after the the Bucks, the Bucks loss, that's what people were talking about, the effort that the Bucks put to play defense. Now, I think it gets lost in the sauce when like Jamal Murray does what he does. And by the way, like if we're gonna dive into that game, I was just having these like parallel, I guess you can say dreams. The two-man game between Murray and Jokic, you see how beautiful that is? Like, it's just the behind-the-back drop passes to see Murray pick up exactly where Jokic leaves it off to shoot a free sh jumper. I was just thinking about how, in my head, I had those romantic views about that and the Bucks, And it was interesting to see it on the same stage, how far ahead. Uh, and even, like, Murray not just scoring, but, like, throwing it to the corner for his shooter. Like, it just, the Nuggets, what they have done with the game may not be the sexiest. They may not have the 70 points from this person. They could have, I mean, we've seen 50 pieces. They may not have these huge highlights, but what they do with what they have just sort of, I mean, I was just like a happy girl watching. Like, so oh, so <laughs> we, we're hitting a lot. Um, we're hitting a lot. Murray and Jokic, it's a dance. They dance. Like they're not just playing basketball. They're dancing. They they read each other's minds. Mm -hmm. They they read each other's <laughs> movements. They're dancing. And Jamal Murray, because of how brilliant Jokic is, will never get the credit he deserves for his role in that partnership. It's all little hesitation dribbles and let me take one more dribble in to draw your defense your defender one extra half step to me and then you get the little floater. It's rescreens. He's bobbing and weaving. He is awesome. He's making a little bit of an all-star push right now as a lot of teams more teams are defending that two-man game by sticking closer to Jokic and kind of daring Jamal Murray to beat them with scoring and kickout passes and he's he's like I'll I'll, I'll beat you that way. Conversely, we've seen in the Denver Boston game which was one of the games of the year Denver's recent game in Indiana where they squeaked out a win despite Halliburton not playing the, the Nuggets barely did both the Pacers and the Celtics essentially like almost very rarely sent any help to Jokic in the post and just said <laughs> we, we know you want to pass we're going to make you score now the Celtics did when Horford was not on Jokic they sent some help and the bad news for Denver's opponents is in the playoffs Jokic is going to score. Jokic is going to be like, yes. all right, I guess I just got to put up like 45 and like I'm too big and strong for Miles Turner. Sorry, buddy. I'm going to put you in the basket.
let's talk about the scoring. Um, here's I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you ready? Ooh, yes. Let's get it. Let's posit that this is actually a problem, right? That there's too much scoring, that scoring is too easy, that the game has tilted too far toward offense. Now, I think the game has tilted a little too far toward offense. I'm not sure it's a problem, given, again, these alternate kinds of games you can watch when you're not watching the Hawks or bad teams. Mm -hmm. What is an actual rule change you would enact to retilt the game back to an offense-defense equilibrium, knowing, Chanae, that you can't just say, allow hand-checking again. Because the NBA is never going to allow hand-checking again. They're not going to go back to the 90s when everyone thought, it's too much defense, it's too hard to score. So everyone's going to yell and scream about this. What should you actually do to equal out the equation? Like It could be anything. You could tell me teams should be only allowed to shoot 35 threes a game, and after that you can't shoot anybody. I don't know, but like that's crazy to me. I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying, yeah. give me anything. You know, it's not the th- the thing about the threes is it's not about like I get the quantity is going up. I just don't like the feeling as a player that you're hooping and you're trying your best and you shoot a shot and all you hear and this is what most players hear all the time is get your foot off the line, get your foot off the line. Yeah, but also like, get your foot off the line. That's the word. Right? Don't take a shot with your foot on the line. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I call that the Danilo Gallinari, the master does of the help. foot on the line. It does. It does help the swag to like look down oh yeah my foot's not on the line and then you shoot the three like yeah i got that you know it's like a cool swaggy thing but it's just that mental like dang we're like micromanaging um the long two is the worst shot we've all talked about it i'm trying to think of what i would do because i'm someone that is like a very defensive type of player and i do respect defenses i do love six fouls like to me that is amazing i mean it's just Oh, this is I got some. Tough. You ready? Okay, I got yeah. Some. Give me, give me some, and I'll approve. All right, let me give you the run of the mill ones, which have come up in competition committee and general managers meetings. The most recent of which was last week. Give me some. Um, and keep in mind, by the way, that as much as people like Steve Kerr want to yell and scream about free throws and t- and guys grifting their way, like free throws are down. Like free, there is no massive increase in free throws that's explaining this. Okay, so here are some. Number one, um, call more illegal screens. Um, there are too many illegal screens. I don't necessarily buy this. This is just an idea that comes up. Number two, okay, hand checking, no. You can't just indiscriminately hand check people. But I had someone within, uh, some, someone who thinks about these things say, there's a difference between hand checking and like when a guy starts his drive, can I ride him on his hip a little bit like can I can I do that that's not a technically a hand check can I can I do that just just yep. give me a little physicality because the thing about the more and this a different person made this point to me a coach made this point to me the more physical you allow defenses to be whether it's hand checking or that like get on ride some guy's hip like that with your forearm yes it will lift defense in the aggregate but it will also like this coach said to me if you if you just let teams hand check or like 50% hand check. The big teams like Boston and Minnesota <laughs> would just destroy everybody. They would like, and the small teams, like this coach mentioned, Indiana, like Indiana can start hand checking you and you wouldn't even feel it because they're so small. These big yeah. teams, you're, it's not just an equal advantage. You're spreading a physical advantage to, and then you have to, then teams would have to reconstitute their roster. So those are two. You would, you liked the, the, the driving one. Yeah. I like the driving one because. As someone playing the game, I feel 
oftentimes powerless when I'm guarding in the half court, someone in motion and they initiate contact. And it's more often than not that I get the foul for them initiating contact. I think that's a problem. So here's, I'm going to tell you right now, I think next season there will be a push to um, whatever remains of these calls. And the NBA has done a good job of like, if you pump fake and jump sideways into somebody, Mm -hmm. that's an offensive foul. If you kick your legs out, that's an offensive foul. If you do the Chris Paul when you're bringing the ball up and all of a sudden you turn sideways and stick your butt out and hit somebody, that's an offensive foul. They've done well with that. But I do think there's going to be a push to two kinds of plays specifically. I'm driving into the lane and I just jump into who's ever near me yep. and create the contact and throw the ball yep. up. That's being called a defensive foul. In FIBA, the refs just look at you like, oh, you thought that was a foul? Like, yeah. you better get up and get your ass <laughs> back on defense, no man. It needs to yeah. be a no call. And the other one like that is, I've heard, is like Harden is the master of this. And I don't mean to scapegoat Harden. He's incredible at it. He doesn't do as much anymore. The guys who gather and rise up with two hands and sweep Mm -hmm. up for layups are just trying to get fouled. And I think those are two concrete plays that the league will take a look at. Is that really going to make that much of a difference? I don't know. I think the driving one will because oftentimes, like once that, you can't, if they initiate contact, you can't retaliate. So I'm here for, like, that to me is the one. It's Because, like, the only other chance you have to defend is verticality. And I actually do like verticality a lot. Like, being able to jump straight up knowing that there's no consequence. Like, you have to be able to defend yourself when you're that close to the rim when people are coming in that strong. So I do like that in motion uh, initiation. Because that to me is like the most... You, you can't defend if someone initiates. Like, how are you supposed to respond? You know? So I'm... I'm here for that. It's tricky, it. though. I don't like the screening one, though. I think it needs to be more to protect the defender than it is like the... I think screening is a little bit more nuanced. It's it's I, um it's one of those things where you start calling them and you can call a lot of them and then you stop <laughs> yeah. calling them and teams feel like, well, why'd you stop calling? Speaking yeah. of which, speaking of which, I, here's another hot take for you. Nothing, nothing to do with this. Did you see Giannis got called for a 10-second violation last night? Did you see that they were counting? Like, there's first of all, not only the fans, but also everyone is counting now. So, and so here, here's my. So. You thought I sounded like an old man before. Get ready. <laughs> the, the, com, the comment, and you could see Chris Middleton go to the refs and kind of be like, "Really? Now, at the end of this game, you're going to call this?" And the <laughs> subtext of that is, it's every time. So, like, when do you decide whether to call it or not? Like, here's you, you want my proposal, Janae? Call okay, it. Tell me. Call it every single time. There's a rule. You don't need 15 <laughs> seconds to shoot a goddamn free throw. We don't need to be treating Giannis with kid gloves. The rule is 10 seconds. Call it until he can do what every single other player in the NBA does, which is shoot a freaking free throw in 10 seconds. Call it every time. Embarrass him until he does it like everybody else. I think the embarrassment needs to come in the beginning. Like, there's always a little bit of leniency as the game goes on. Like, a you know, a foot violation on the free throw. Like, there's a little forgiveness there. But they got to call it the first time. Like, it should not become a thing throughout the course of the game that you're it's starting like to It's like 14 hear. seconds now. It's it's wild. We've been, we were hearing the Mississippis. And I'm a huge Giannis fan. I mean, come on. It's in my blood. How could you but not But this be? right here, thank you, thank you. But this right here, and the thing is, is like if he's looking for a break, my sister, when she does her free throws, she goes to the line, but before they pass it, she steps out, wipes her shoes, and then comes back. 
she's eaten up about like five seconds to do that. But like, that's her break that she is entitled to and people respect, right? I think Kelsey Plum does something similar in like wiping her shoes too. Now, what Giannis is doing is he's taking his break as he's shooting with like the game completely paused. When my sister or Plum walk back, people are still getting settled. You know, things are getting oriented for the free throw. He's doing it after everything has slowed down. All right, here's your ball. I, I understand what it is. When you are someone that is not necessarily like the most natural shooter, and I say that with love because I was someone, and I am someone that's not the most natural shooter, you have these processes that you feel like you have to go through no matter what. But this process right here is outside of the bounds of basketball. And like the crazy thing is when you get the 10, like it's a subjective 10. They're, you know, oh, sorry, I'm just as frustrated watching it too. Cause I'm like, come on, man. Like you only need about six, six max. Most people shoot within like the first four. I'm sorry if I sound old. Just shoot. I'm right there with you. Throws. And I'm old. I'm old too. All right, Zach, let's go I'm back to too. let's go back to Lakers Rockets, and then we're gonna transition. Uh, I just want to say one thing. I made I made a little facetious comment about Jared Vanderbilt giving Dylan Brooks a wet willy. Um, <laughs> I think what Dylan Brooks did to escalate that entire thing, which was shove Jared Vanderbilt in the back gently, but still shove him as Jared Vanderbilt was in the air dunking, is an incredibly dangerous play. The fact Extremely. that he was not even called for a foul was ridiculous. You could argue you should get thrown out of the game for that. And I would direct people to, many have probably forgotten, Andrew Bogut's entire career was changed on that exact play when Amari mm. Stoudemire shoved him in the back during a dunk. And it doesn't look like a big shove. And Andrew Bogut grabbed the rim to try to balance himself, lost his balance, came down on his arm, broke everything in one of his arms, was never the same player again. It's an incredibly dangerous play. And I don't care that he's sneering villain guy. I understand why they threw Jared Vanderbilt out of the game. You can't give someone a wet willy and point at their face and all that stuff and escalate like that. But I just thought that was like, I couldn't believe there was no foul called. Now, I got a Rockets question for you. You ready? Well, that wasn't the only instance that like he did something. You know what I mean? The So I, I, I agree. Those plays are completely dangerous. And for some reason, as someone, I know you have a Rockets question, that watches these matchups extremely, like a lot. Um this there's something to this Lakers Rockets that makes Dylan Brooks go put some extra sauce on it. And it is not good. So he needs to uh, reel it I, back. I think it's LeBron James. I think LeBron, I, his, <laughs> his distaste for LeBron James is the common denominator. No, I understand. In- but there's like, the, the problem is, is that like, there's a, there's a time and place for us to like re bring, bring that up again. And it just like, let the moment go, let the moment go. Like okay. we understand this. Sorry, go ahead. So trade deadline is a, uh, I don't know, nine days away. Uh, we we know who the main names are, uh, but there's always surprise names. There's always, and I'm always talking to coaches, executives, around, agents around the league. And they ask me and I ask them like, who's an under the radar name that you think is like, that you're just thinking about or that you think um, like you wouldn't be shocked if trade deadline 2.50 PM, like this guy got traded, what? And a name that comes up now and then, there's been a little buzz not sure how current the buzz is. He may have shut the buzz up last night. What do you think about, um, and Bill Simmons has mentioned this person several times on his podcast. Should the Rockets be looking at trading Jalen Green for a more win-now player? Rockets fan, Shanae Gumake? Man, this is the whole side subplot of Rockets fandom. It's a love-hate relationship with 
Jalen Green, unfortunately, the expectations being a number two pick and then also seeing the ups and downs of his performances at times. I am not there yet where we trade Jalen Green. I'm not surprised. This is something that people talk about. Do we need him for the long term? Do we not? All those types of things. I understand the process of growth in the NBA. I wouldn't be surprised if a trade happened involving Jalen Green because the Rockets are taking steps to evaluate like who is a part of this core right now that will build for us in the future. And I don't know if he's sort of, it's funny because like when we start hearing names, what do we get? What have we seen from D'Lo? We've been seeing him ball out of his mind, right? Harrison like, Barnes, Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter <laughs> are like a don't trade me tag team right now. Like all of a sudden they're getting like 50 a game between them. Yes. I mean, look, that's we need to start repurposing the Januarys for don't trade me to February type of situation because we're getting these performances from guys whose names are out there. And so I'm going to start looking at those things moving forward. But yeah, that I've noticed that from Jalen Green. I would not be surprised if he gets traded just based off of the the frustrations that Rockets fans have at times with his performances and also how sometimes you've seen situations where like if he's not on the floor, how the team does versus what how he's on the floor. But still, they're young. They are embracing a new identity. They're playing harder. They are getting great. I mean, have you seen like what Cam Whitmore has been doing? How fun it's been. I mean, I saw the Hornets game where it was like some chirping and then he comes out here and was firing. Like there's something happening. I know that oftentimes in the NBA, we don't talk about these mid, unfortunately, sorry, Rockets fans, mid-level teams. <laughs> we don't talk enough about it, but there's something brewing that they're figuring out that I have no problem with them giving a little bit more time time for. Shangoon, like, come on, man. Like, there's so many fun things that are happening with our squad. And so I'm not in a rush or a hurry because we have finally committed to the build and it's going to take a while. Of course, yeah. Okay. Just wanna, oh, just you see double, what I'm wearing on my just sweatshirt? Wanna, the just want to double, double check that. Um, You're... So, okay. Here are the only two justifications for trading Jalen Green, in my view. Number one, you are getting ahead of the we can't pay them all problem, and uh, you get an offer such that you actually have to entertain it because it's fair to good value. And by can't pay them all, I mean this. Shangun is part of the, Shangun's the best player on the team. Correct. Um, uh, even players who don't have Jalen Green's upside are, fit more snugly into the core player. Wait, thing. would you be surprised if Shengun was an all-star? Uh, I would be a little bit surprised only because I have 11 Western Conference all-star locks that don't include Alper and Shengun, And so that leaves me one spot. One, not four, not six. <laughs> one for Alper and Shengun, both T-Wolves big guys, both Kings all-star candidates, both Pelicans oh, yeah. all-star candidates, if you think there are any in New Orleans, and they're probably going to both fall short. In any case, Cheney. I haven't built my team out yet, so that's a good homework assignment for me. Shengun, best player on the team. Tari Eason and Jabari Smith Jr., just plug-and-play role players. Love them. Cam Whitmore is just, like, bursting through cement walls and dunking Dynamite. people in oblivion. We'll see what he is. Amon Thompson is starting to show some flashes. Can't shoot. We got to see what he is. If you think that all of those guys are going to hit, you just can't pay them all. And so it would behoove you to say, well, we see how – 
Jabari and Eason in particular fit as just like classic forward secondary option types in a Shengun centric team with Van Vliet now who knows how long he's going to be here um but then you go through the exercise like who would you actually trade Jalen Green for what would you trade Jalen Green for Mm -hmm. package type number one is just so many draft picks that we have to do it and it kind of resets our cap sheet a little bit I don't know if that offers out there package two is Young-ish player, not maybe as young as Jalen Green, let's say in the 24 to 27 range, who's good, fits our team, and is for some reason available. Good players like that are available because they're on bad teams. Mm -hmm. And that player is actually worth giving up the upside of Jalen Green, who is 21 years old for 10 more days, 21. And you start to find out, like search for who that player is, And you got to keep in mind that the team on the other end of this theoretical trade can't have too many guards already because they're going to get a guard back. So you might want to think about like, I'm not even going to say names. You have to keep that in mind. The only guy that I came upon was Mikhail Bridges. And I just, maybe maybe I'm a little bit too much of a cockeyed Jalen Green optimist. I just like, what am I winning this year or even next year if I'm the Houston Rockets that even understanding the can't pay them all problem that is years away, I just need more information on what Jalen Green can do before I make that kind of trade because the guy has talent and athleticism you simply cannot find. And he put 34 up on the Lakers last night or wherever he did. Thank you, that part. And you just said the key to all of this. Need more information. I think that sums up the essence of what the Rockets are trying to do in their build. Yes, it might seem like he's someone that people would be attracted and you can get someone in bigger for, but like needing more information, that's where I think we're in the evaluation station of the the universe. And so I have no problem with him being on our team. I, I love the I love the highlights. I love the growth. And I'm patient. I mean like, you know, because I'm glad that we are in this this zone of oh we're trying to be good but we're you know what i mean like we know exactly where we are right now we're in the builds we need more information if no trade happens cool if something happens i understand as a rockets fan but i i do love this team before we go to before we go to my next set of teams i forgot that i had a rule change about the scoring explosion like just (laughs) just just a rule change that i spitballed with some people if you like, if you really want to help defense, and you don't want to do, you don't want to let defense players like tackle and hand check all the time anymore. What's something you can do? Here's something I've proposed to a few people. I don't believe that this is a good idea. I just wanted to test it out, a little tribal. So you know, there's a defense of three seconds rule, right? You can't be in the Correct. lane for more than three seconds. You got to get out and tag somebody nearby. Correct. FIBA doesn't have that rule. FIBA, you can just sit in the lane as long as you want and be a big tall person. Like, come at me. NBA <laughs> doesn't want that. Because they like plays at the rim. They want people going at the rim. They want the rim to be cleared and uncleared and cleared so people can drive to the rim. So I said, what if you made it like D4 or D5? What if you gave me a couple extra seconds to hang in the rim to like just help the big guys stay on the floor a little bit more, help defenses strategize and zone up with a little bit more leeway? And what I the pushback I got from that is, A, the NBA doesn't call defense for three seconds very much anyway. I don't really buy that argument because they, no. teams still kind of follow the rule. 
And B, you just don't want to tilt the game too far toward no drives to the rim. I kind of, I, I mm, love it's, it. It's, love it's it. interesting. Love it. Love it. Give me D5. Give me D5. I am here for that, Zach Lowe. What I love about D5 is, yes, they don't call it, but it is in your mind. So you're there. You're still moving out of the way just in case they may call it. And guess what I do as a defender all the, or as an offensive player all the time? I'm like, yelling three seconds, three seconds, and you are forced to move. It's in your head. D5 gives you more of a an ability to be present and impact what is going on. Because, me, like, you're only there for two seconds before you have to go. Because if you stay on any longer, you're – you know what I mean? So I love this D5 idea. Let me, let me be clear. I have not thought this through. This is a harebrained scheme. I have not thought this through appropriately. The last I like thing I want to say is – Again, going back to these games from last night, one of which we're going to talk about now, it's as much a mentality as anything else. And I think the explosion of offense has crept into some teams, not all teams, not the serious mm -hmm. ones, but some, and it manifests itself in a mindset of, oh, we can just get it back next possession. We can just get it back next. We can just get, I don't really, we don't have to approach this possession with urgency defense. We'll just, just give us the ball back. And I look at the Hawks. Not to pick on the Hawks, but that 73-point game from Luka the other night was incredible, right? Yep. To me, the story of that game, the <laughs> scandal of that game, <laughs> was, not, was not the Hawks' bad defense on Luka Doncic. Like, Luka's hard to guard. He's incredible. He's going to score a lot of points. If he starts hitting a step-back three, it's going to be a long night. It was when they double-teamed Luka, which they started doing more in the second half, their rotations out of those double-teams were so lazy <laughs> and so bad that they honestly might have just fallen asleep on the floor and done about as well, preventing corner threes and dunks. Like, it just evinced a certain, like, we're just not attacking this with any kind of seriousness of purpose because, you know what, we'll just get the ball back and we'll have one of these 150, 145 carnival games that we usually lose, but it's going to be close. That was the scandal of that game. Okay, let's talk about a real game. Minnesota, Oklahoma City. The Wolves, uh, who are 27th in offensive rating in fourth quarters and had been coming off some bad fourth quarter collapses and near collapses against Charlotte, Brooklyn, and San Antonio, win the fourth quarter fairly handily in Oklahoma City, close it out with some hellacious defense on the Thunder. Did you learn anything from this clash between uh, the number one and number two teams in the Western Conference? Well, now actually number one and number three with Denver now vaulting over Oklahoma City. Hold up. Yeah, let me look at the standings really quick. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, I didn't learn anything significant. I've always known that there's going to be growing pains. I think that the Timberwolves and the Oklahoma City Thunder are ahead of schedule. And the reason why the Timberwolves are even more ahead of schedule is because they have more veterans on the squad, Rudy, knowing what it's like to go far, Cat um, having more experience, and being the, you know what I mean? Like, OKC, OKC Thunder have just now arrived. So I was more surprised that one, at this point in the season, that both of those teams are currently now in the top three. I am not surprised about uh, the Timberwolves figuring things out more on schedule than the OKC Thunder in certain situations. I have been a little bit worried about the Thunder as of late. They really need a big like somebody to help them in the interior to deal with all of the forces that come through that paint. And I think we saw another example of that, but I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think I learned anything crazy um, other than consistency is going to be the bread and butter for these squads. As much as people laud, I mean, how much of a believer are you in the Timberwolves? Um, my, 
fear my I, I believe that the Timberwolves could make the finals and I believe that the Timberwolves could lose in the first round if they get the wrong matchup. Now, if they're the number one seed, that's going to be extremely unlikely. But if they're if they fall to three and they get Dallas or Phoenix or somebody like that, and the reason, as I've said over and over again, is because I don't trust their decision making on offense, and that's a, and that's primarily about Towns, who's prone to some crazy turnovers. And yeah, Ed, and Edwards, who you know, we're we're all all of our brains are hardwired in some faulty way to. Remember when Anthony Edwards hits three step back jumpers in a row and Perk goes on TV and says, this is an ex Michael Jordan. He's unbelievable. And like Anthony Edwards is unbelievable. He's a two way player. Like when he dials it up on defense, it actually gets kind of scary. Like he moved Mikhail Bridges backwards on defense. That's been the change. That's been the change for them. Seeing that commitment unlocked everyone else's commitment, but keep going. But but you know what else happened in that game? He missed like a thousand bad jump shots in a row. And we don't, and we don't remember that because it's less exciting because those are low percentage shots. So we expect them to be misses, I think. And so when they're makes, it's like, Oh my God, it's incredible. And they're counting on Mike Conley to steady the ship. And Mm -hmm. he's been out in some of these games. And maybe that's one of the reasons they floundered. But he's also old and carrying a huge load. And they're 19th in offense overall. Their offense just has not been good. And I think they're going to look around for another guard at the trade deadline. I just can't figure out what the salary outgoing would be. I will say this, though. Part of the reason their offense has gone in the toilet a little bit this year is that Kyle Anderson just has, has lost it right now. Like the touch, the floaters, all that stuff from last year that made him such a valuable connector. He just can't make shots and he's become a liability on offense. He's not shooting any threes. And I don't know. I don't know about you, Chine. You're a post player. I like when they run more stuff through Carl Towns. Like when Carl Towns moves off the ball, when he's, yeah. when he comes off a pin down and comes off, yep. then it comes off a second screen and they get the defense rotating or like they had Jalen Williams on him last night and he just mm-hmm. took him to the bat. Now Jalen Williams fights like all hell guarding opposing force for the thunder, but he, <laughs> Carl just faced up and took him to the rim a few times. He, my, my lukewarmish take, this is going to sound a little <laughs> blasphemous. I think Anthony Edwards is the best player on the Timberwolves. I still think Carl Anthony Towns might be the best offensive player on the Timberwolves. Is that he crazy? Is, no, it's not crazy at all. He is okay. So sometimes being the that doesn't mean you. I hate using the word X factor because it's like so cliche. But Carl Anthony Towns is the X factor because nothing would work for the Timberwolves without him. Being able to go with a two big lineup does not work without Carl Anthony Towns being able to shoot the ball at a high level. And yes, you will get the Carl Anthony Towns that shoots the way he did in that historic night that he had because they're still the Timberwolves. But like that is the that is the downfalls of the situation. But the goods are that your team is number one in the West. So like I think sometimes keeping those things in perspective, Cat unlocks this version of a squad that is not designed, not necessarily built to work right now in the NBA with Two seven, I don't know how is Cat six ten. Two seven footers on the floor at the same time. He is the reason why they are able to compete at the highest level and potentially go to the finals. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Cat would be the reason that they go to the finals, right? And yet, but every he, he and would, yet <laughs> every time he throws like a thread the needle pass from like on the move, I expect it to hit somebody's feet or go into the second row. And I'm, I just get like worried. I get worried today. 
Yeah, um, and I think that that's rational worries that all of us share. So you're not alone in this. I do love what they have become because they've had to accept their issues in order to move forward. And it seems like they've accepted more of them than they we all would have thought. So I, I, I yeah. They have I'm not all also, the way in on them, sorry. They, their defense is absolutely for real. And if you watch the last five minutes of that game last night, smothering both in man and in zone. They played some zone yep. last night. And they closed that game up six. Thunder come up with the ball like 45 seconds left. You need a three. You can't take a quick two. You can't take a quack two, as Seth Partner would call it. <laughs> and they're trying to get a three. They're trying to get a three. And when you have the two bigs, McDaniels and Edwards out there, they're just so goddamn big. And Lou Dort, somehow someone bent the defense and kicked the ball to Lou Dort on the left wing, and he was open. And Jaden McDaniels, who's gigantic and one of the best defense players in the league, leaped and flew out at him. And so Dort, <laughs> pump, pump, dribble, sidestep. 99 out of 100 defenders is out of the play. Lou Dort gets an open three because Jaden McDaniels has flown 10 feet past him, not Jaden McDaniels. He's so big and so athletic. He lands, he pivots, he jumps sideways back into Lou Dort's vision, and Lou Dort is rising shoe like, oh my God, what the <laughs> hell? Where, where did this guy come from? And he had to pass the ball. And you know how the possession ended? With Kenrich Williams, trying to, who I love, trying to take a running hook over Rudy Gobert Spoiler alert, it missed. Good luck. And it was an awesome <laughs> defensive performance. On the Thunder, it, the matchups in this game were fascinating, as they often are with both of these teams. The Wolves opened the game with Jaden McDaniels on Chet Holmgren, and they put their two big guys, Gobert and Towns, on Josh Giddy, who made three threes right away in the game. They just gave it to him. We've seen teams do this over and over again. Yep. And Lou Dort. So we're going to guard our, Lou Dort, too, with bigs. And the Thunder in that game and in some recent games kind of quietly distributed some of the giddy Dort minutes to Kaysen Wallace, who was coming on like gangbusters and doing more stuff with the ball, Isaiah Joe, who just runs around and shoots and has become a much better all-around player, and Kenrich Williams, who's playing more at the four and playing well. And... I've said all year, my gut, and I'm not saying that they're, let me be clear, I'm not saying the Thunder are trading any of the players I just named, because I would bet against it. I do think they're going to do something, because I do think those minutes fluctuations, even if it's not a big like everybody wants them to get, like I mentioned Wendell Carter Jr. last week, I think Orlando's going to keep him, he's just playing too well. Uh, I think Orlando actually wants another guard um, to help their kind of bereft guard rotation. Um, but... Uh, like, like, how would Alex Caruso look in Oklahoma City, for instance? Ooh. Just one more guy. I don't even care what position he is, who you trust on both ends of the floor to move the ball. I just, this is based on very little intel, very little reporting. I've said it all year. My gut is that everyone talks about the Thunder either standing pat and being the same old patient Thunder or taking the giant swing where they trade giddy plus a million picks for a star player and i've said all year it's a lot of space between those two trades they can outbid anybody for i mean i've mentioned pj washington Keldon john whoever it ends up being my gut says this team has been so good that the front office is going to say you know what you guys deserve a real shot you guys deserve an upgrade let's let's do something I, absolutely and if there's one team that has assets it's the oklahoma city thunder to make something happen and I do like that because it's not something that is like, you know, flashy or 
huge. Like a Caruso fits also the mold of who they are and how they play. And um, yeah, no, I, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if something like that happens, Zach. Did you notice uh, anything? I realize I'm bouncing around because my brain is on fire today in a bad way. Um, did Did you notice anything different or new about the Doc Rivers Milwaukee Bucks? Man, so I know that that was tricky. Go walking, you know, into Denver <laughs> for night one under his tenure. I didn't think I didn't come in with the irrational idea that this is now a team that is going to beat the Nuggets right now because. Doc Rivers is the coach. I saw the defense, the effort, and maybe that's the part that will continue to stay with the Bucks because not every night they're not going to be playing the Nuggets every single night. Um, I I think that that it was more of a statement to me of the Nuggets than it was a statement of the Bucks because if you are truly a competent defense, right, you've got to pick and choose who you slow down either Jokic or Jamal and this is just a team that's not equipped for that so I did not come in with any great expectations that the Bucks were going to do, move the immovable Denver Nuggets when they played it was maybe that's that me it was interesting down the stretch um they started switching the Murray Jokic pick and roll even if Dame was on Murray and Murray was hunting Dame Lillard like every possession would start with Dame calling or with Jamal Murray calling Dame's guy up set a guard guard screen for me get get Dame on me then we'll go in to the ballet with Jokic and the Bucks just gave up and like we're gonna switch even if that means Dame's on Jokic we're gonna rescue him from the back line we're gonna have Brooke or Giannis who's there back there rescue him and Giannis guarded Jokic actually fairly well just got just being a pest with his hands it was a fun game um only nine Lillard Giannis pick and roll so no early sea change there that's a, that's actually less than their average but 41 total Dame pick and rolls that's his fifth highest total in any game this season that's second spectrum tracking data and a lot of those were with Brooke or with Portis with Giannis kind of lurking around because they wanted to attack Jokic and mm-hmm. DeAndre Jordan Jokic got a bunch of steals in the third quarter but like yep. going up to up to the level um the one thing I will say is you could see the transition defense emphasis right yes. off the bat. You watch the, cor- <laughs> the the corner shooters are running hard on yep. the shot instead of lingering around. And there was also there was one hilarious clip where Chris Middleton went up for a mid-range jumper and Giannis was under the rim. Giannis is a fairly large individual who's good at rebounding. Like I wouldn't mind him staying under there yeah. and, if, to get a rebound. Shot was in midair and Giannis almost like melodramatically started sprinting back on defense with the shot in midair. Maybe it was just a vote of confidence in Chris Middleton. Maybe he was like, he looked at the trajectory, <laughs> like this thing's going in. I'm going to sprint back. I was like, well, Giannis, slow down, man. There might be yeah. a rebound there. Yep, exactly. And that's what I was saying, like the defense. The defense was there. The effort was there. But is it like because you're going up against the defending champs or is it because you have a new coach? We'll wait and see. But I do think like those things, there were plays where Giannis would not get back. There were plays where, you know what I mean? And we saw those timelessly. Um under unfortunately Griffin's tenure. So the effort was there. That's what everyone after the game was talking about. Oh, you know, our deep, you know, so we have things to fix, but I, I think we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Cause against the nuggets, you're going to lose even in certain circumstances, but other teams, there's an expectation to win. We'll see if the bucks win those games. I have a challenge for you. Are you ready? Let's go. Can you explain the new Orleans Pelicans to me? Like what, what, what are <laughs> the new Orleans Pelicans? 
Every time I start to feel a little bit good about them, all right, here's a big part of the schedule. Oklahoma City, Milwaukee, Boston, lost, lost, lost. They played okay last night. The first two were blowouts. Zion missed one of the games. I get it. It's like, what? Now they're 26 and 21 all of a sudden and down to eighth after looking like, oh, could they sniff fifth? Maybe they, they still can. They're only three games out of it. They're just so, I just don't understand. I don't understand. What is, what are they? Who are they? Do you like the bird pelican? Do you like when they dive into the water head first and eat the fish? <laughs> like, I just, it would give me everything. I feel like, okay, so I'm, uh, Louisiana is next to Texas. And so I am that, that That's support- that's accurate. Janae, thank you for the geography lesson. And, and I am inclined to support this squad. Um, I think that the wor- the one thing that I'm worried about with the New Orleans Pelicans is, we had the expectations for Zion to transform this franchise, right? And show up and do what he's supposed to do. I don't, unfortunately, like, ugh, don't like to, I don't want to, things are still, still early for him. But this is a circumstance where I feel like the Pelicans, I mean, they, I don't know if they're going to actually be that squad that we all think if, all the pieces come together. And even if that means getting the best version of Zion along the way. So I am not, I am, I, I think they are supposed to beat who they're supposed to beat, but I don't have great expectations of them. Uh, you know, I, I, are your expectations for them? Are you, are well, you thinking like top four or uh, no, no. Well, the top four in the West is done. I don't think anybody's yeah. touching those top four teams. Um, they're interesting to me because they have a lot of talent. Yes. They still can't seem to figure out exactly who should play with who and when and for how long. Uh, Like Zion played a lot of center last night. Sometimes they don't play Zion at center at all. Um, You know, they have, I I would say, four below average to bad defenders in their starting five and just seem to be okay with that. Like they just don't, they seem paralyzed by indecision about like, what should we do? Can we really make any kind of adjustments to that lineup? Should we just play it less? And they, they're they interested. And, like, sometimes Dyson Daniel plays a lot and sometimes little. Sometimes Jordan Hawkins doesn't play at all, and sometimes he bombs 10 threes in 20 minutes. They just seem all over the place. And why that's interesting is there aren't a lot of good teams who have as much to trade as they do. The Thunder, obviously, can out-trade anybody. The Pelicans have a lot of mid-sized contracts, a lot of talented players, some big expiring contracts like Valanciunas, tons of extra draft picks. And I think they've been paralyzed at times by like, we don't really even know what part of our roster we should try to upgrade. And the Mm -hmm. buzz about them is all over the place. And they could do nothing. They could do something surprising. I just don't know. I just don't know. And every time I feel like I know, they get rocked sideways and I'm like, ugh. I don't know. No, I'm I'm in the same place. I'm in the same place, and it's a fr- that's what I was saying. It's a frustrating place to be in to be in that mid level of the NBA, um, especially now. And yeah, I agree. I agree completely. All right. Well, we have a we have a special guest that I'm going to bring in who is uh, crashing this podcast unannounced. And I gave him a challenge, and I said I want I want this guy to come on. And I just want a scorcher. I want at least one hot take. It can be about trades. It can be about anything. Kendrick <laughs> Perkins, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, how are you? And I, I hope you can't. I want something that's like not even safe for NBA today. I want something that's a scorcher. Ooh. <laughs> I'm hot and loaded. 
Zach, you think I'm coming to a gunfight with a spoon in my pocket? Hell no. Look, check this out. I got this for y'all. The Heat has lost seven in a row. I think it's time for the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler to part ways. I think the Miami Heat needs <laughs> to do right by Jimmy Butler and send him to a legit title contender. I would love to see him with the 76ers, but when I look at this roster, okay, stay with me. Shanae, Zach, stay with me. I need y'all to be open-minded. Open-minded here, okay? Kevin Love, 37, right? 36, 37. I think he is. Yeah, 36. Jimmy Butler, 34 years of age. They just got rid of Kyle Larry. He's 37, excuse me. Everyone else on the Heat roster is 30 and under. I believe Bam is 26, Tyler Hero 24, uh, Highquest Jr. is 22, 21. It's time for the Heat to start their rebuild of their culture with the young guys, and it's not a bad thing. I just don't know how much time Jimmy got left of playoff Jimmy. He's 34, a lot of miles, a lot of minutes, a lot of wear and tear on his body. And I just don't see the Miami Heat this season being a legit title contender. So with that being said, I feel like it needs to be a – it's no such thing as a, as a, a pretty divorce. So I'm not calling it a divorce. I just think it's time for them to sit at the round table and figure out what's next. And what's next is getting Jimmy to a place where he actually could compete for a title because he's not going to be able to do it with the Heat this year. I think uh, I think the flames from that one shot out of the laptop and burned my eyebrows <laughs> off. That, so, so, But you raise an interesting point, Perk. They've lost seven in a row. I actually am like a little uh, shocked at how bad they have been in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And I, and Jimmy's been like way up and down. Bam's been up and down. The Rozier thing hasn't kicked into gear and you're right. They're reaching a critical point as the trade deadline comes and, and we were have 35 games left in the season. The next 10 to 15 games, they're either going to click into place and the Rozier thing's going to fit. And Jimmy's going to start playing consistently. And we're going to be like, oh, and is back from injury. And like, okay, here's the team that, uh, Spo said, buckle up a couple weeks ago. Here's the team. They clicked into place. And I think there's a world where that happens because there is a lot of talent there. Or they just kind of sputter around and you just get the feeling like, it's, it's not going to happen this year. And their offense, I don't know where they are now. I think they're like 23rd or 24th. And they play offense. Their shot selection is like, it's 1999. They don't take threes. They don't get to the rim. It's just <laughs> such it's a just... goddamn slog to get any points out of this team right now. But they were doing this last year Thank in, you. The, in the play-in tournament. I was like, are they ever going to score another basket? And then three weeks later, I woke up, they're going to the finals. Yeah, yeah but they're not, they're not sneaking up on anyone no more. Okay. Hold on. Hurt. Hurt. just real quick before you go. I want y'all to mm -hmm. seven games. Last night, the Suns beat them 118 to 105, so they got basically smoked. The Knicks beat them 125 to 109, they got smoked. The Celtics beat them 143 to 110. The Memphis Grizzlies 
The Memphis, <laughs> the, the, the Mem the, almost the Memphis hustle, Perk. Right, Vince <laughs> Williams the third or Junior. They beat them one hundred five ninety six. The Magic beat them one hundred five to eighty seven. The Raptors beat them one twenty one to ninety seven. Yeah. And the Hawks beat them by one point. This is not a team that's trending in the right direction. And that next uh, game is against the Sacramento Kings. I, I, I'm glad you said Memphis Hustle because weren't they the ones that just won a game on the out-of-bounds play or something like that with the second left? I'm not sure. I think I saw that highlight. So that's cute. Get them into the pod. Uh, I Look, 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 look. I hear you, Park. I think we selfishly want to see Jimmy Butler on a contender at this point. Right. And it doesn't look like the Heat are a contender. But I feel like we're a prisoner of the moment because we got the note that Miami, uh, they're right now 24 and 23. Last year, they were 25 and 22 at this time and somehow stumbled upon making the NBA finals. On top of that, we're a few months, like a few months ago, the circumstance of Damian Lillard potentially coming to this team, would we be saying this? Well, we probably not. wouldn't. No, we probably wouldn't. But like they were open to it, it just didn't happen. So I don't think. Oh, I don't. I don't. Ugh. I that was a very hot take to me. But, but I like it though. That's what I wanted. I wanted a hot take, and like they're right. playing. You're they're right. playing bad. They're playing bad right now. There's no way around it. Here's the thing, right? We we were expecting Caleb Martin to take a, another leap from what we saw in the postseason. Shanae, you know this. Zach, you know this as well. That once teams start scheming and you get deeper into that scouting report, things become a little bit differently, right? Like Bam. Yeah, that's true. So, so explain this to me. Bam is having an exceptional year right now, right? Tyler Hero is playing outstanding basketball this year. How are the Heat in this position? And They're 5-11 and 11 when Bam, Jimmy Butler, and Tyler Hero play together oh. you have a case okay so i can name i can name four teams in the east that will beat them in the seven game series the celtics the sixers the bucks and the knicks and you could even throw cleveland in there the way that donovan mitchell been playing without darius garland and evan mobley they're not sneaking up on no one no more they're actually the hunted my brain is not ready to consider Jimmy Butler trades, but if, if your if your argument is that I have to trade him to a contender, <laughs> the most fun this is literally off the top of my head because I had no idea what Perk was going to come out come on here and say. The most fun, I mean, the Knicks and Tibbs they already kind of they have a lot of stuff to trade. They just got in an Obi. Indiana just traded a lot of stuff for Siakam. They'd be a lot of fun. They just don't have enough left. I don't think it's got to be a good team, like a good team that wants to get good. You know where he'd really fit? Again, just a thought exercise, people. This is just Perk is dropping bombs. Like, he'd be kind of fun between Fox and Sabonis in Sacramento as like a culture setter, defender guy. Um, they Dallas, need a boost. Dallas is an obvious one. I just don't know if they have enough. Those are just, this is just off the top of my head. I wanted to say the Warriors, it's just too crazy. And I think the Warriors are actually going to go the other way if they'd make any moves and like more plan for next year. That was a good one, Perk. I'm just, I'm just saying. You last last note. What did the Milwaukee Bucks do when they were thirty and thirteen? 
They stopped the bleeding with the relationship with their head coach and with their players. They were 30, they were 30 and 13 when Adrian Griffin got fired. But and do they who, have the same pressure, Perk? Who? Like the Bucks and the Heat don't have the well, same pressure. I'm not saying I'm not so I'm not saying that, Shanae. All I'm saying is is that Jimmy is 34. So how much like I understand we can never underestimate Jimmy, but realistically, like is this his best fit for him to go and win the title? And to me, the answer is no. And I just feel like the Miami Heat with a young Eric Spoelstra because he's still young, just got a, a, a max contract extension. Yeah, he got the max. And so now all of a sudden you got Hawkins Jr. You have uh, Tyler Hero. You have Bam. All of these guys have not even scratched the surface of their prime. You made a finals run with Jimmy as the head of the snake. Two finals runs. I mean, you know, maybe the writing's on the wall. This is tough, but it's kind of you're getting me a little bit hurt. Well, <laughs> look, I am I am scarred from <laughs> I am scarred from past instances of doubting the Heat. Um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> and I do like, but they look dead in the water right now. And every time mm -hmm. they look dead in the water, it takes one game and like they click. But I don't know what clicking looks like for this team. And how many times they gonna, can do it. I, I don't think they're going to trade Jimmy Butler, but Perk, thank you for coming on. I have actually one question for the two of you guys. Can you stick around for one question? Yeah, sure. This is a, this is a hot take question. I want to hear both of your both of your thoughts on it. We know Levine has been like the name that's been out there the most in the last two months. It has been reported uh, by Mark Stein and elsewhere in the last couple of weeks that Detroit, mm. the worst team in the NBA, is sniffing around Zach, is sniffing around the team that takes Zach Levine off Chicago's hand of being that team. We can presume, I think, that such a trade would not involve Cade Cunningham, would not involve Asar Thompson, would not involve Jalen Duran, who is like a freaking G.I. Joe character out there. Yes. Um, and would probably not involve Jaden Ivey, even though teams are trying to take advantage of the Pistons and pick him off. So if those four guys stay and it's just like big contracts and draft picks, Perk, I'll start with you and then Shanae. Does that make any sense to you? Is that is that a smart thing for Detroit to do? It, it is because you have to find pieces that actually complement Kay Cuddenham, right? Kay Cuddenham, to me, is a less athletic version of LeBron from a point forward position, right? Like that, that he's your point guard. I know it's a positionless game and we we don't have a traditional point guard, but when Cade is on the floor, not he's your decision maker. Okay, he's running pick and rolls. I think him and Zach complement each other well. I think Zach, you know, I understand his contract is massive, and people are saying right, like he's basically not living up to what he's getting paid. But Detroit need new life, and Zach has shown us that he is capable of averaging. 27 in this league, right? A, a, a league that's about getting buckets. So, I mean, I could see it. I could see why Detroit is fishing. I could see the vision a little bit. And, you know, and it's a fresh start for Zach. Should yeah, I? I'm, yeah, I, look, if I'm Detroit, I, I do like all of the players you mentioned. So it's going to be hard for me to see a circumstance where that happens for Zach to include, to not include that core. But I do like this idea of if Detroit were to move, it would to be moving for shooting. And that's what you're going to get from Levine. I'm not sure that there's a 
idea that, you know, when we talked about Levine's potential to Los Angeles, it was like, but can he play defense? I'm not sure if that's going to be the main emphasis of what his purpose would be in Detroit, more so like than Perk saying that you need to space the floor and be dynamic for us offensively. So I can see how it works. The contract to me is hard yeah. for the contract to me is hard. The changing of young personnel, like this, the slump that Detroit was previously in for, like they had their shackles tied to the first quarter of the NBA season. I don't think it, it did any justice to the actual goods of their young players yeah you know and i think once you remove that lens of going on that losing streak it's going to be hard for me to see levine coming in at the expense of some of these young players that we've seen perk you talk almost every day, other day at nba today about Jalen Duran, like how much you love these he's guys. good man he's, he's good, good. <laughs> he, he doesn't know how to play nba defense yet in terms of angles and positioning but he's like 19 or 20 and that dude has stuff you cannot find. And he can You've been, dribble and he can pass too. Ever since he was drafted, Perk put me on to him, him and his game. No. And so I know you hear a Levine and it seems like that's a solution, but there are some really good pieces. So I, uh, but I can see why it could work with Levine in Detroit versus elsewhere because they uniquely need this just shooting and the requirements that he'd have to do and better know, there than anywhere else. Go ahead, you, Perk. You know what was the one a great move by Troy Weaver? is that he traded Marvin Bag Bagley the third, right? And Marvin Bagley is a hell of a talent. But now, all of a sudden, right, instead of having that young competition in the locker room, Jalen Duran don't have, have to look over his shoulder. Now, Zach, before we leave, you can't ask us a question. No, I'm going to answer it. You, I need to ask you <laughs> serious. With shooting being so valuable, so many contenders need it, right? Like you see the motto, the that the MO that Boston live by. Bondanovich, right? Is that in, in Detroit? Does he get moved to a contender? Uh all of these questions are linked together, right? Like Levine and Bogdanovich, like Detroit has to figure out how much do we care about not being nine and seventy-three, because we still gotta <laughs> not do that. We'd like to not do that. They should have traded Bogdanovich last year. So mm. I, particularly if they bring in some other veteran, what I'm not, I have no idea how active the Levine talks, if there ever were, I think they should trade Bogdanovich somewhere and he could help some teams. My worry though, Perk is I do think he's lost like a quarter of a step on defense. And That's it, okay. It's, it's okay. All right. That's okay. Because guess what? <laughs> guess what? The team that you, you, I, that me, you and Sinead talked about earlier, the Minnesota Timberwolves, can you imagine if they could package up something and get Bardanovich over there with the Timberwolves? I don't know how to, you know, like I always say, I don't know about the cooking apron, first apron, and second apron. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 but if there's if there's a team that you can lose a step to and be all right, it's going to yeah, be the Timberwolves. Timberwolves. <laughs> I mean, he can shoot and score the hell out of it. To answer my own question on Levine, my worry is what well, it all depends on the price. Like Detroit already owes one first round pick to the Knicks. They don't have any extra first round picks from any teams. They are bad in rebuilding. So they do have to be careful about using those kind of future assets on a trade. That's let's be honest. Like what's their upside in the next four, three years trading for Zach Levine. They're not winning a Even championship with him. or getting yeah. to the finals, but I will say I could imagine how this goes. Here's how it will go. If it were to happen, they make the trade. Everybody laughs at them for making the trade because it's like, what are you doing? You won five games and you're trading for this guy that makes a gazillion dollars. 
And then Zach Levine plays well. The team plays better. And in like a year, people are like, hey, that Zach Levine trade kind of worked out okay for the Pistons. And at that point, you need to either move him again for value or the team takes off to a point that it's worth keeping. But I could see the the scenario events, the series of events where everybody laughs at the Pistons. And then a year later, like, oh, that actually kind of worked out all right for everybody. And like Zach's playing well. He seems happy. There's a lot to talk about between now and the trade deadline. Chenae. You're busy. I know you got your is it cake obligations. You got to get to. <laughs> you got a whole family free agency drama you got to deal with with your sister. There's a lot going right? on. Uh, Perk, thank you for popping on. I'll probably see you later today with Malika and the crew on NBA Today. You guys are the best. Thank you for your time. And uh, you can. You, I don't even need to promote you. People People know where to find both of you. <laughs> well, appreciate you, Zach. And keep doing a great job, my brother. Oh, the wildly successful Low Post Podcast. Okay, yeah. enough out of you, people. Have a good day. <laughs>